I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level and the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome to episode 16 of HR Coffee Time. It's great to have you here. This is the third episode in a series about networking for your career. So you've already had episode 11, where I talked you through the three most important networks for your career. And in episode 15, last week's episode, that was all about why and how networking can help your career. So I'm hoping that this means I have you completely convinced that networking is a powerful tool for helping your career in a huge range of ways. But I know that just knowing about networking and believing it's a good idea, that's not necessarily going to be enough to spur you on into action because it can feel a bit daunting. So networking is something that we can easily let fall off our radar or just completely avoid doing altogether. So today to help, I'm going to be sharing nine simple tips to help boost your confidence about networking and start taking action. And before I dive into the episode, I just want to quickly remind you about the free downloadable HR planner that I've created for you for 2022 to help set you up for a brilliant year. It contains a whole range of sections, including a career goal setting section, which helps you plan out your career over the year, a list of key HR tasks that you might have to plan for throughout the year, a calendar with key awareness dates printed on it, which include wellbeing and inclusion dates to help give you ideas for activities and initiatives that you might want to set up. And now for the first time, so it's new for this year's planner, there's also a monthly review section at the end of each month to help keep you on track with your goals and to remind you of all the progress that you're making along the way. So if you're already signed up to receive my free HR Coffee Time emails, you will have received your free copy by now. 
If not, just go to www.subscribepage.com forward slash HR Planner 2022 and a copy will be winging its way to you in no time. But for now, let's crack on with the main part of the show. Right, here are my nine tips for building your confidence about networking. Here's the first tip. Now, I've mentioned this one before back in episode 11. It's all about trying to change your mindset when it comes to networking. If you're thinking, oh, networking is something a bit horrible or something which just involves asking other people for help or only speaking to people because you want something from them, so you have to be a bit inauthentic and maybe even underhand, then I want to stop you right there and say, no, no, no. It doesn't have to be about taking stuff from other people. It doesn't have to be about being inauthentic. In fact, that isn't what good networking is about at all. Instead, I'd like to really encourage you to think about networking and to approach it as really just being about building relationships. And you might think, oh no, I'm no good at building relationships, but I'm going to disagree with you (laughs) because I know that you can do it. It's something that we all learn to do when we're really young. If you just think right back to your first day of being at school, you would have probably gone into the school playground and not known anyone. But over the next few weeks, you would have got to the point where you had even just one friend. And that shows that from a really young age, you have been able to build relationships. Even if it feels a little bit tricky at first, you've got there and you can do it. So although I know it can feel a bit more challenging to do this in a work environment rather than in a social environment, building relationships, it's still totally doable. And the next tips I'm going to share with you are going to help show you how to do that. So let's move straight on to tip two. Now that you've got your positive mindset about networking, you're viewing it as just being about building relationships, a skill that you know you already have, let's think about this next tip, which is don't forget the small talk, or maybe I should call it remember the small talk. Now, again, I know (laughs) that some people can't bear the idea of small talk and they find it really boring or pointless And it can sometimes just be seen as this sort of seemingly meaningless chatter. But actually, small talk plays a really important role in getting to know people. It's a way of starting a conversation and you can only build relationships by starting to talk to people. So by having that initial small talk chat, that helps us to plant a seed of a new relationship that can grow from there. And then it means you will be able to move on to talking about other things that you probably find a lot more interesting. So especially when you're meeting someone for the very first time, or you're speaking to someone that you don't know very well yet, small talk is a very handy way of breaking the ice and starting to feel comfortable around each other. And if you find it hard to think of small talk, I'd recommend paying attention to your hairdresser when you next get your hair cut. Hairdressers tend to be masters of small talk. 
they have to find a way of striking up a conversation and building rapport with a steady stream of different people throughout the day. In fact, I sometimes think my hairdresser, who is brilliant at this, now knows more about my life than anyone else, including all of my good friends and family. Good small talk involves asking the other person questions about themselves that can't be answered with a simple yes or no. I suppose really it's a bit like asking a good coaching question. You want to encourage them to start a conversation rather than just giving you a one word answer. And of course, hopefully it goes without saying that you also want to avoid talking about anything that might make them feel uncomfortable, like politics or religion, all the things that are big no-nos anyway. And if you find yourself at a formal industry event, try not to grill them on their opinions about a particular industry topic. You don't want to make them feel like they're sitting some sort of an exam with you. It just needs to be nice, gentle, easy, small talk when you first meet people. So some examples and some ideas for you are that if you are at a formal event, just ask them how they heard about the event or which other events they like to go to. Another question that you can ask if you're at an event with them is to ask them where they've had to travel from to get there. Another question that you can think of is to ask them what their biggest challenge is at work at that moment. So I really like that one actually, because not only will you get to know them a little bit better, but you'll also hopefully start to gain some real insights into trends that might be happening in the sector that you're working in. And you may also be able to help them at this point. If you're asking them about their challenges and they mention something that you do actually know about, or you've worked your way through yourself, then you can probably offer to give them some sort of help with it or point them in the direction of useful resources. And this idea of helping other people is something I'm going to talk about in a bit more detail in a moment, because it's one of the best ways of strengthening a relationship with other people is to help them. Now, I focused a little bit on what to say if you're meeting someone at an event for the first time, but a question that you can use with pretty much anyone in any situation is just to ask them how their weekend was <laughs> and what they got up to over the weekend if you're speaking to them towards the beginning of the week. And of course, if it's the end of the week, then ask them what their plans are for the weekend. A favourite hairdresser question that you've probably been asked many times yourself is if we're near the summertime, just ask them if they've got any holiday plans. And you'll find that that small talk can then eventually move on to the more meaningful conversations where you'll start to build up more of a stronger relationship so that you're not just strangers talking to each other. But remember, when you are building relationships, especially with colleagues at work or other professionals who you meet at formal events, you don't just need to talk about work all the time. If you think about the people who you get on with really well at work right now, or who you used to get on really well with in previous roles, it's probably not just because you were chatting about work day in, day out. You will probably have shared some sort of information about your lives, about your interests. It's those personal details and the ways that we help and support each other that really help us to build those stronger relationships. Moving on to tip three, so once you've managed to break the ice with some small talk, try to remember the details that the other person shares with you. It will mean a lot to them. 
And for this tip, I'm going to go back in time and remember one of my very first jobs. I used to work with someone who was absolutely brilliant at this, at remembering the details that people told him. And he had a special way of doing it. So whenever he met someone, he'd ask them for their business card. And to be fair, this was 25 years ago, so everyone seemed to hand out business cards a lot more then than they do now. I don't think I can remember the last time someone asked me for a business card. But anyway, back to the story. So he got their business card, and once he got back to his desk after meeting them, he'd staple the business card into his notebook, and then he'd jot down some notes about what they'd told him. It meant that he didn't forget the small details that so many of us do tend to forget, even if we've got the best of intentions of remembering this kind of stuff. And then it meant that the next time he met them, or if he needed to ask them for help for some reason, he'd be able to start his call or his email or his chat with them with something that was so much more personal than just hope you had a good weekend. Instead, he might ask them how their son was or how their mother's birthday party had gone, or if he knew that they'd been trying to get promoted, how their plans were going with that. He'd basically mention whatever the relevant small piece of personal information was that they'd shared with him. And you're probably not going to be surprised to hear that people loved it. We love the idea that people are listening to us. It just seems so thoughtful. So please, if there's anything you take from this today, this is probably one of my favourite tips. And it's something that I could actually get a lot better at myself. But let's move on to tip four. So thinking about formal events again, or even maybe small work events at the company you work for, a really helpful tip if you're nervous about networking is to try to be the first person who arrives in the room. And this is something that I've done myself because although I like meeting people, I love chatting to people, I can still find formal networking events or large group events where I don't really know anyone a bit intimidating especially when I first walk into the room and think, oh no, I don't know a single soul in here. It just feels a bit nerve wracking walking up to a new group of people to say hello for the first time. It's always fine when I do do it, but it still feels a little bit uncomfortable. What I found is that what isn't anywhere near as intimidating is being the first person in the room. And that means that if you get there first, you're there to greet people as they arrive and help welcome them into the room and put them at ease. It's a really funny thing. By being the person who welcomes them, shows them where the drinks are if there are drinks, introduces them to someone else who you think they might be interested in talking to, not only will you feel more relaxed, then actually you're probably making a really good impression. Because if you're walking into that room feeling nervous, it's very likely that lots of other people are too. So they're going to be really grateful that you've gone up to talk to them. I've already hinted at tip five for today. And actually, I'm sneaking this in as a tip that I've already shared with you in episode 11. But I'm sharing it again because I think it's such an important one. And this is to think about what you can give to other people in most situations, rather than what you can take. I like to think of it as being a kind of career karma. My grandfather used to always say, what goes around comes around, Faye. And he used to drum it into me and my little brother and sister when we were growing up. 
He used to talk about how important it was to treat people how we'd like to be treated and to help others whenever we could. And that good deeds would always come back to you in some way, even if you can't predict how or what that coming back to you might look like. I always believed him, I've, I still do, I've always believed him since I was a little girl, even though he passed away a long time ago now. And another wonderful coach that I know called Claire Corazan pointed out to me that there's evidence to back this thinking up. So it's not just wishful thinking. A brilliant organisational psychologist called Adam Grant explains this idea of givers, takers and matches. So he has done masses of research into this area and presented all of his findings in a book called Give and Take. And if you're not much of a reader, there is a fab TED talk that he's done on it as well, which is really quick and easy to watch. So what he actually discovered from studying thousands of people and their success at work is that people can be grouped into three different categories. So some of us like to give. So we will go and give support, help, advice. We'll help the people around us however we can. It's a real driving force. And then other people are matches. So they like to give to people, but they'll also be keeping a little bit of a score. So if they find that the people they're giving to don't give them anything back or aren't contributing or being supportive to other people, then actually they'll hold back and they'll stop from giving to that person. So it's a sort of credit and debit system. They're happy to give as long as they feel that in some way that's going to come back to them. And then of course the third group of people are the takers. These are people who just take what they want, they're in it for themselves and they are the ones who give networking a terrible name because they can come across as very inauthentic or very self-serving. They have no interest a lot of the time in helping other people along with their careers either. So what he found when he actually studied these different groups, these different characteristics, surprises a lot of people. If I ask when I'm running a career workshop and I talk about this whole concept of giving, taking and matching, if I say, okay, everyone, who do you think is most successful in life? People will normally say the takers or the matches. But actually what Adam Grant found was that it is the givers who are the most successful people a lot of the time in their organisation. On the flip side, unfortunately, the givers could also be the least successful people. Because what he found and what you will probably have observed, whether this is something that happens for you yourself personally, or if you've seen people around you do this, is that givers who give too much can actually end up burning themselves out. Because if they're so busy helping their colleagues and supporting everyone around them, it means that their workload goes up and they end up working crazy hours and they feel really stressed and they're at huge risk of burnout. The other downside can be that their own work slides. They're so happy supporting everyone else that they put their own work priorities on a back burner. So to be one of the people in the organisation who are the successful givers, what Adam Grant found was that they had managed to put in place some sort of protective mechanisms to stop themselves from having their own work slide or from burning out. So often that would involve giving a little bit instead of throwing themselves all in to help other people. So I think he coined it the five minute favour. 
if you want to think about this for yourself, if you think, oh gosh, I do feel massively stressed because I'm always helping everyone else, it could be simple things like sending someone a YouTube tutorial on how to use PowerPoint more effectively instead of creating the whole PowerPoint presentation for them when they come to you and ask for your help. Or it could just be making an introduction to someone who you think is going to be useful and who can help them instead of trying to give them all of the help and all of the support yourself. And of course, it can be simple things like, I would really love to help, but I'm completely swamped at the moment. So can we please pick this up at another time? Is it okay if you wait for the help or if I find someone else who can help you? But don't worry, you don't always have to be giving to be able to ask your network for some help. So one of the reasons that givers often do really well is because the matches, again, are watching what's going on. If they see that one of their colleague is really committed to supporting everyone around them, then they're going to invariably help them along their way. They're going to think well of them and talk positively about them to other people, which is all going to help them with their own career. This idea of giving and taking and matching, it hasn't got to be about, okay, I give you something and I want something in exchange, or I'll ask you for something and then I feel obligated to give you something in exchange. Because I know thinking like that might stop you from taking action and it can feel difficult, especially if someone very senior gives you some help or you ask them to support you in some way. If you're more junior, you may think, oh, what can I do that's going to help them? Actually, there will be something that you can do to help them. Well, first of all, I'd say don't feel you have to do something to help them just because they've helped you. As long as you're taking this giving approach generally, it doesn't matter if you can't help someone immediately or help them in a particular instance. There are small things that you can do instead. So whether that's publicly praising your boss to their colleagues after saying what a massive support they've been to you, or perhaps ensuring that your colleagues at work get recognition for something they've done. We all know someone who finds it hard to speak up in meetings. Perhaps you can make sure that you ensure their voice gets heard when you're next having a meeting, whether that's online or in person. And sharing, even sharing a useful article on a topic that you know the person might be interested in, that can be a really valuable thing to do. In fact, just recognising someone else's contribution at work and thanking them for it can go such a long way. That really is giving and it means a lot to the person who you're recognising or thanking. But that's enough about givers, takers and matches for the moment. Let's move on to tip six, which is about asking for help when you need it. So the whole point in nurturing your network and building your confidence about networking is that your network is then primed and ready to help you when you do need it. And I see this becoming an issue for some people, particularly givers. They're so used to helping everyone else. And I know that if you're working in HR, you're probably partly in that role because you care about other people and you want to help them. But I really want to encourage you to think it's okay for you to ask for help as well. And then tip seven, which leads nicely on from tip six, is to follow up with someone who has helped you. So if you're not normally very good at asking for help and you've listened to this and thought, no, that's it, it's time for me to start asking for help from my network. Well, when someone does help you, let them know how you got on. 
So if you've leaned into them to ask them for some advice, or you've asked them to introduce you to a contact, or you've asked for help in some other way, they'll really appreciate hearing how you got on. Did their advice help you to overcome your nerves delivering a presentation? Did their contact help you to get your next role? Are you finding it easier to get on with someone who's been really tricky at work after they shared some tips with you? Trust me, as someone who tries to help other people, whether it's through this podcast or through introductions or useful contacts or or just through my coaching, it's so lovely when someone lets me know how whatever it was that I helped them with has helped them and how it's panned out. It's It's a really nice feeling to know that that little bit of help has somehow gone a long way. Then tip eight is finding ways to stay in touch with the people in your network. If you've put in all this time with building these great relationships, it would be such a shame to lose them. And LinkedIn can be a brilliant and very easy way of loosely staying in touch with former colleagues or professional contacts. LinkedIn will handily remind you of their birthday so you can send them a happy birthday message. It will let you know when they've had a work anniversary or when they've started a new role. So all little events like those are great prompts for you to just send them a quick message on LinkedIn saying congratulations or asking them how they are. And of course, if there's someone who's very active on LinkedIn, I know that most people aren't, but they may be, you can help them and stay in touch with them by supporting their posts, whether that's by liking the content that they share, by commenting on it, or by sharing their content for them. But if the person is someone you'd like to stay in touch with in a more significant way, instead of just liking their posts or sending them the odd message here and then, try to get a date in the calendar with them for a coffee or a lunch or drinks. And now that we're all more used to living in a virtual world since the pandemic, this can always be a meetup over Zoom instead of having to ask them to travel somewhere to meet you. And whenever you do see them, try to get the next date in the calendar while you're with them. This is something I've started trying to do with friends as well, because when life gets busy, it's just too easy for the months to fly by and you suddenly realise it's been ages since you saw the people you most want to stay in touch with. And that brings us to my final tip, which is tip nine. Now I know I've already mentioned LinkedIn, but I think it can be such a powerful networking resource that I'm going to suggest using it even more extensively for this ninth and final tip. I know it's easy to ignore LinkedIn unless you're actively looking for a new job. What I often find is that people say, I need to get a new job fate. Oh my gosh, I better dust down the LinkedIn profile. I haven't logged on in ages. I better see what's going on and make sure it's all up to date. So although yes, it's one of the times that LinkedIn is that it's most helpful is when you are looking for a new role. In fact, you can use it in lots of other ways too. So try not to completely ignore it until you need a new job and then you're going to panic that you haven't got an up-to-date profile or you haven't connected with anyone new for the last five years because it can be a great way of staying on top of industry trends, hearing about new resources and events and learning from other people. You don't only have to stay connected to people who you know really well or who you've met personally. You can also connect with or follow thought leaders, organisations and other people who seem to be sharing really helpful content. And of course, as I mentioned in last week's episode, 
If you're looking for a new role or would like to change career, LinkedIn is just the most amazing resource. Because you might have heard of the game Kevin Bacon and the Six Degrees of Separation. I might be showing my age here because <laughs> I think a lot of people probably now just know Kevin Bacon from the EE ads on TV, but he was mega famous when I was young. And this game was based on the idea that as an actor, Kevin Bacon could be linked to almost any other actor or actress in Hollywood through their film roles within just six steps. And I googled this in preparation for this episode, and there's even a website and an app that you can use nowadays to test this out. I just had a little go on it for research for this episode. I entered Lady Gaga into the game, and bam, in lightning speed, it showed me that she's connected to Kevin Bacon by only one person. It turns out that she was in a film I've never heard of called Machete Kills with Cuba Gooding Jr. And Cuba Gooding Jr. was in A Few Good Men with Kevin Bacon. So in theory, if Lady Gaga ever wants to get in touch with Kevin Bacon to ask him for help, all she has to do is give Cuba Gooding Jr. a ring and then ask him to make the introduction. If you fancy having a go, I can put a link to the game in the show notes. The online version is called The Oracle of Bacon. Uh, it's a bit of a dangerous way of losing time by putting in goodness knows how many actors <laughs> that you know of. But just like I found out that there's research to back up my grandfather's idea about career karma, there's also research that shows Kevin Bacon isn't the only person who has a lot of connections. Because back in 1973, Mark Granovetter, I'm not sure if I just pronounced his name correctly, but hopefully I did, he was a professor at Stanford University and he published a paper called The Strength of Weak Ties. He was able to prove through his research that not only is our network a brilliant way of finding a new role, it's actually the weak ties in our network. So by that he means the people who are connected to the people that we know that can prove to be the most helpful. So this means that LinkedIn really is your own ready-made version of the Kevin Bacon game. But instead of seeing how Kevin Bacon is connected to other helpful people, you can see how you are. So to give you an example and to bring this to life, let's imagine that I'm looking to change career. I'm going to decide that, oh, actually, I don't want to be a career coach anymore. I want to have a career in marketing. So all I have to do is go onto LinkedIn, type in marketing or marketing manager or any other job title related to marketing really. And immediately I'll hit search and LinkedIn will show me the people in my network who work in marketing. Now, if they have a little one next to their name, it means they're a first degree connection of mine. So I've sent them a connection request or they've sent me a connection request. We know each other probably in some way. But what's likely to happen is that there'll be some people on there who have got a little two or a little second written next to their name. That means they're a second degree connection of mine. So just like in the Kevin Bacon example, Lady Gaga is a second degree connection. His first degree connection is Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> so I would find the same thing. So I'll search for a marketing person on LinkedIn. Let's say someone who works in marketing called Peter comes up. And I have got a friend called 
Toller, and I can see that Toller is a shared first degree connection. So all I've got to do is call Toller or send him a message and say, oh Toller, I'm thinking of changing career and working, working in marketing, and I'd really like to have a chat with some people who are already doing that job right now. I can see that you're connected to Peter. Do you know him very well? Would you be happy to introduce me to him? And hopefully Toller's going to say, Oh yes, Peter, he's married to my sister, he's a lovely guy, of course I'm happy to introduce you. It is a much easier way of being able to get directly in touch with people if you're introduced to them, instead of just contacting them cold. And of course this doesn't just apply for career change, it can apply for all other things as well. If you're applying for a role in a company and you'd like to find out more about that company, you can put in the company name on LinkedIn and search to see who are your second degree connections of people who work there so that you can have a chat with them and find out more about it. And you may be really surprised to find that you've got some first degree connections on there as well, because hopefully you're being really good and making sure that you're sending connection requests to pretty much everyone you meet and pass by as you go through life. But I will end my rant about how wonderful LinkedIn is. If you're not very confident with it, I have got a LinkedIn course that I can link to in the show notes for you or that you can find on my website, which is brightskycareercoaching.co.uk. But that brings me to the end of the nine tips on how to feel more confident about networking. I really hope that they've helped and that they help to give you the courage to go out there and really start nurturing your network, seeing what you can give to other people and see what comes back to you.